1. The first person we shall call to the witness stand is the poet Pindar, who died after 446 BC. He has to cast his vote on what the Greek man of the 5th century before the Christian era would see as the best justification for living in cities. We can hear his answer in the 5th Isthumian Ode. Quote, but two things are there that minister to the brightest bloom of life as wealth blossoms. Success and the good speech that a man hears of himself. Strive not to become Zeus. You have everything if destiny of such splendours befall you. Mortals must be content with mortality. End quote. This advice, two and a half thousand years after it was formulated, surprisingly makes sense to contemporary readers. If only the first part, even if we can no longer experience what an ancient polis was. At least today we are fully aware of its function. Citizens of the late 20th century know just as well as classical Greeks that the city is useful mainly as a setting for victory ceremonies, both in the narrow sporting sense and in wider political and cultural terms. It is the nub of male existence in the urban multitude to be picked out of the masses and to become a living topic of discussion. The city may otherwise be what it chooses, a commercial centre, a fortress, a seat of government, a cultural centre. It is first and foremost a theatre of ambition in which candidates compete for a share of fame. Fame is the fortune of the good name the city dwellers spread in their sphere of interest through their mass media, city talk and panegyric glorifying poetry. In ancient Athens, anybody who spoke out was already famous for 15 minutes. The victor was a person who succeeded in rising to the peak of the urban landscape. Greek cities' capacity for fame in their classical century was evidently highly developed, and the famous competition rituals, of which the Olympics was just one, to provide enough victors, or the urban fame machine would have been doomed to dry runs. Fame and panegyric were essential, because they represented the antidepressants of the Greek city-state system. No other cultural form of antiquity has imposed such a high degree of metaphysical resignation as a Greek polis, and consequently hardly any other had such a need for illustrious victors and glorifying praise. This psychopolitical riddle of the Greek state is solved in the second part of Pindar's verse. It shows that the polis was only possible because it was able to convince citizens to see themselves as mortal, and nothing but mortal humans. The polis was a system for rebalancing depression and ambition. The adult Greek man only attained full citizen's rights in his city by metaphysical resignation. He could only start working in public offices after burying his dreams of personal immortality, as a citizen among equals, a mortal among mortals. The Greeks knew that to make it possible to found cities in which free citizens could run their own affairs in peace and war, the imitative rivalry or jealousy among human beings, the metaphysical as well as the material, had to be neutralised. And in this respect, nothing is more effective than the subjection of everybody to the command of a common and impersonal ruler. Death. It follows that the apolitical poet par excellence, the ethicist Epicurus, 341-270 BC, had good reason for saying, 
against other things it is possible to make ourselves secure. But when it comes to death, we human beings all inhabit a city without walls. This means that anyone who knows, as a Greek knew, that he or she is mortal becomes, by virtue of this knowledge, a supporter of the European city. Western urban culture has its real foundation in the egalitarian idea of death. Only people motivated by an unquestionable idea of community can tackle communal democratic tasks. And this is what the Greek emphasis on mortality actually means. Only mortals who were actively convinced of their own mortality were entitled to play a useful role in urban life. It was as if every worthwhile goal of human desire lay within the horizon of the city. If this were not so, the city would be torn apart at the centre of its motivational force, and its best citizens would inevitably start looking for ways to attain immortality. And this is why Pindar pledged his victors to be satisfied with victory and fame. Strive not to become Zeus. It's not humanly possible to be Olympian. Olympic victories have to suffice. If the striving to become Zeus were legitimate for the urban ethos, the cooperation of mortals for the city would soon be over. Only the cruder types would let themselves be brought off with fame and victory, whereas the better ones would have to turn away to seek the best. In fact, they would have to become Zeus and transcend the city. The Greek city, more than any other, speaks through its poets to prohibit this willful ambition. It bans the quest for resemblance to Zeus and for divine immortality with its most powerful word of prohibition, hubris. For all souls have the potential for hubris. As Greek theology well knows, for it is based on a detached kind of anthropology. The souls of citizens must always be called back from this tendency to hubris and return to the service of the city. In the third Pythian ode, Pindar is remarkably explicit when he sends the maniacal, volatile soul back to the urban field. Do not my soul strive for the life of the immortals, but exhaust the limits of the possible. These lines embody the pathos and fundamental contradiction of all Greek-inspired forms of urban humanity. The polis as culture, or life form, is something special for people who give their souls for the city. This gift remains a paradox to the very end. To still have a soul and yet be prepared to forego its immortality for the sake of democracy. If such an improbable demand is the price for the Greek miracle, this already offers the glimmer of an explanation as to why the miracle was only short-lived. The old European trading city was tied to a program of depression that involved using up the souls of city dwellers in mortal tasks as if there were no others. The noble mortality that underpins the old democratic trading city can preserve its chance as long as urban educators succeed in persuading young people not to aspire to any other heaven than the one that opens up through being famous among one's fellow citizens and winning victories in battle or games, or service.